This is Timothy Putnam. So glad that you've joined us again today. We come together each week to examine the foundations of our faith, to see the impact it has on our daily lives so that together we can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. Uh, and, you know, I like, to, I like to mix things up. I like to just talk about whatever it is that interests me. So we have a couple of constants on the show that aren't going to change. But other than that, the format's really fluid. Uh, the, the things that are constant, we're always going to approach Scripture. As St. Jerome said, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. And so the more we become familiarized with Scripture, the closer we will be in our understanding and our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's ultimately what we're after. Now, the other constant is that we're always going to approach some reading from church history, either a document of the church or a writing from a doctor or a father of the church. And this is because I very much desire to be connected to our history. I'm a convert. I came from another faith tradition before uh, I was Catholic. And in that situation, I knew scripture. Uh, I had studied theology. And yet, uh, what I was practicing was so far divergent from what was prescribed by the early church that it really, uh, while some of the beliefs were similar, the practice of my faith was very different than what was called for by the church fathers. And so keeping ourselves connected, not only to scripture, uh, but also to the historic faith handed down to us in tradition from the church uh, those are things that keep us well-grounded. And as a well-grounded people, we can walk out outside the walls with greater confidence, knowing that we walk in the mission of Christ. So today's readings, we're actually going to spend all of our time in Scripture uh, on this coming Wednesday's readings, because this coming Wednesday is the Annunciation of the Lord. And so as we prepare for that solemnity, we're going to spend some time talking about it and, and the implications of it and what it means uh, and so as we begin, as we begin our time together today, let's open up in prayer. Today, as we prepare to celebrate the beginning of our salvation, when the coming of the Lord was announced by the angel, let us pray with joy in our hearts, saying, May God's Holy Mother intercede for us. Mary received God's word with joy. May joy fill our hearts as we welcome our Savior. May God's Holy Mother intercede for us. You looked with love on your lowly servant. In your mercy, Father, remember us and all your children. May God's Holy Mother intercede for us. Mary, the new Eve, was obedient to your word. May we echo her loving obedience. May God's Holy Mother intercede for us. May God's Holy Mother help all in distress Encourage the faint-hearted, console the sorrowful. May she pray for your holy people, for the clergy, and for all women dedicated to your service. May God's Holy Mother intercede for us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, our Father, your word became man and was born of the Virgin Mary. May we become more like Jesus Christ, whom we acknowledge as our Redeemer, God and man. 
We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our first reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. The Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as the netherworld, or as high as the sky. But Ahaz answered, I will not ask. I will not tempt the Lord. Then Isaiah said, Listen, O house of David, is it not enough for you to weary people? Must you also weary my God? Therefore the Lord himself will give you this sign. The virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That reading again comes from Isaiah chapter 7. The responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 40. Here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. Sacrifice or oblation you wished not, but ears open to obedience you gave me. Holocausts or sin offerings you sought not. Then I said, Behold, I come. Here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. In the written scroll it is prescribed for me. To do your will, O my God, is my delight, and your law is within my heart. Here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. I announced your justice in the vast assembly. I did not restrain my lips, as you, O Lord, know. Here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. Your justice I kept not hid within my heart. Your faithfulness and your salvation I have spoken of. I have made no secret of your kindness and your truth in the vast assembly. Here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. Our second reading, because we are in a solemnity today, so we have three readings. Our second reading comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Brothers and sisters, it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats take away sins. For this reason, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. In holocausts and sin offerings you took no delight. Then I said, As is written of me in the scroll, Behold, I come to do your will, O God. First, he says, sacrifices and offerings, holocausts and sin offerings, you neither desired nor delighted in. These are offered according to the law. Then he says, behold, I come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been consecrated through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That reading comes from Hebrews 10. Our gospel for the solemnity is the narrative of the Annunciation, which is found in Luke 1. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said, and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. 
he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no relations with a man? The angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. That gospel again comes from Luke chapter 1. Today's reading from church history comes from St. Irenaeus of Lyons, from his book Against Heresies. Now, this is a little bit more difficult a reading than we have done in recent history. Uh, We're not pulling this from the breviary, which has been condensed and translated in a very understandable and clear way. Uh, And so this is a little bit more difficult to follow. I'm going to change a little bit of the language uh, where it's necessary, uh, but for the most part, we're going to just read straight through, and I'm going to do my best to inflect it in such a way that it becomes easier to understand or easier to follow on the radio. So we're going to try our hands at this. This comes from Against Heresies from Book 5. For the Creator of the world is truly the Word of God. And this is our Lord, who in the last times was made man, existing in this world, and who in an invisible manner contains all things created, and is inherent in the entire creation, since the word of God governs and arranges all things. And therefore he came to his own in a visible manner, and was made flesh and hung upon the tree, that he might sum up all things in himself." and his own peculiar people, did not receive him. As Moses declared this very thing among the people, and your life shall be hanging before your eyes, and you will not believe your life. Those therefore who did not receive him did not receive life. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. For it is he who has the power from the Father over all things, since he is the word of God, and very man, communicating with invisible beings after the manner of the intellect, and appointing law observable to the outward senses, that all things should continue each in its own order. And he reigns manifestly over things visible and pertaining to men, and he brings in just judgment and worthy Upon all. As David also clearly pointing to this says, Our God shall openly come and will not keep silence. Then he shows also the judgment which is brought in by him, saying, A fire shall burn in his sight, and a strong tempest shall rage round about him. He shall call upon the heaven from above, and the earth to judge his people. The Lord, then, was manifestly coming to his own things, and was sustaining them by means of that creation which is supported by himself. 
and was making a recapitulation of that disobedience which had occurred in connection with a tree through the obedience which he exhibited when he hung upon a tree. The effects also of that deception, by which that virgin Eve, who was already espoused to a man, was unhappily misled, were done away with by what was happily announced through means of the truth spoken by the angel to the Virgin Mary, who was also espoused to a man. For just as the former was led astray by the word of an angel, so that she fled from God when she had transgressed his word, so did the latter, by an angelic communication, receive the glad tidings that she should sustain God, being obedient to his word. And if the former did disobey God, yet the latter was persuaded to be obedient to God, in order that the Virgin Mary might become the patroness of the Virgin Eve." And thus, as the human race fell into bondage to death by means of a virgin, so it is rescued by a virgin. Virginal disobedience having been balanced in the opposite scale by virginal obedience. For in the same way, the sin of the first created man receives amendment by the correction of the first begotten. And the coming of the serpent is conquered by the harmlessness of the dove those bonds being unloosed by which we had been fast bound to death. That reading comes from St. Irenaeus of Lyons in his work Against Heresies, Book 5. The question I get from a lot of my, uh, my Protestant friends who were surprised by my conversion to the Catholic Church is, why do you people make such a big deal about Mary? She's just another person. You know, she, yes, she participated in God's plan. Yes, we're grateful that she, uh, that she gave birth to Christ, but, uh, but she's just human. She's a creature. She's not divine. And of course we would say, you're right. She's not divine. And yet there is something special about the way that she participated in our salvation and salvation history. Uh, and I'm reminded of, there's a phrase that I've heard many times that the old Testament is revealed in the new and the New Testament is hidden in the Old. And so here in that reading from St. Irenaeus, we see uh, this compare and contrast with the Virgin Mary and the Virgin Eve. We see that where one disobeyed, uh, the other obeyed. Where one, when faced with a choice, chose to be separated from God through their own sin, the other uh, who also was born sinless, just like Eve, the other, when given the choice, chose to connect more fully with God, to come to God and not to stand in independence. Not to be independent of God, but rather to be fully dependent upon God. And so this compare and contrast is one of those things uh, that we see that that is given to us in salvation history. But there's another thing. A lot of the very early heresies that came to attack who Christ was did so through uh, denying something about Mary. So the reason that we make so much of Mary is because of what it means by implication for Christ. We say that Mary was sinless uh, because of what it implies about Christ, that he is fully God and fully man, and that Mary carried in herself Christ, who was fully God. 
She didn't just carry the man Jesus and then later God elevated him to be the divine. No, he was divine from the very moment that he was always fully God and fully man. And so here at this Annunciation is one of those times that we celebrate who Christ is through something about Mary. When we come back, we're going to dig in a little bit further to the Annunciation of the Lord with a friend of mine, David Walker from Verbum Software. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. This is Father Joe Townsend from St. Benedict's in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and you are listening to Outside the Walls on 102.9 St. Michael Catholic Radio. Welcome back. Of course, you know we're talking today about the Annunciation of the Lord, which is coming up this coming Wednesday. Uh, And so to help us kind of unpack that, because there's a lot of nuance in the scripture there that we miss in the English. Uh, There's there's an Italian phrase which translates, of course, that's going to be ironic once you hear it. But the, the, the phrase is, the translator is the traitor. Uh, traditore, traditore. And so uh, we have, uh, we've got, we lose something in translation. Whenever you translate something, you're going to lose nuance. And that's what's happened uh, here. Uh, One of the reasons that Bible only, sola scriptura, does not work is because uh, there has to be an interpretation. Even if you're just reading the translator's interpretation, there has to be an interpretation. And so scripture itself uh, must have some interpretive lens that guides us. Otherwise, uh, every interpretation is at war with one another, as we see very often. And so to help us with some of the nuance today, I've brought in a friend of mine, David Walker, uh, who I met in seminary. He he married uh, someone that I knew f- from growing up in camp. And so th- there was already a connection there because of that previous uh, relationship. But I met him in seminary uh, at Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. And he had his journey to Catholicism much sooner than I did. Uh, he converted while in seminary. And he and his wife, uh, when, when I got married and uh, my wife and I met with them, they planted some seeds for us for the Catholic faith that would uh, really influence our journey later on. And so uh, David and his wife, Barbie, are now um, godparents to one of my children. So, you know, I can, I can exert a little bit of force and get them to come on the show. So David, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you so much, Timothy, for having me. So, David, you work now for Verbum, which is some Bible software that that actually helps uh, a Catholic read Scripture with the mind of the Church. Just kind of give us a a broad overview of what Verbum is, and then we'll dig into this specific Scripture. Verbum, uh, as you said, it is a a piece of software that allows you to study uh, the Scripture and tradition of our Catholic faith in a very effective and efficient way. In fact, we like to call ourselves the Catholic study platform because there's really no one no one else that's doing this. Uh, our program is built on the uh, the search engine of Logos Bible Software. You may uh, and some of your audience may be familiar with Logos Bible Software. They've been making uh, Bible software for close to 25 years now and have really been the leaders in uh, uh, exegetical and, and Bible study software. 
And uh, a few years ago, uh, just about three years ago, they decided that they wanted to spin off uh, a division that was uh, very uh, uniquely Catholic, because obviously as Catholics we read the Bible quite differently than our Protestant brothers and sisters do. And so um, all of the good tools that, that Logos has developed to get into the Greek and the Hebrew, uh, that is all incorporated into Verbum. But beyond that, there are uh, the resources that are tapped into with Verbum are distinctly Catholic and, and uniquely Catholic resources. So um, when you use the software to d- dive into the scriptures or if you're looking for a specific topic uh, related to maybe a moral issue or a theological issue and you do a search for it, the results are going to pull from a thoroughly Catholic library. Uh, and the, the software really is just an amazing tool for anyone from someone wanting to do their own Bible study or a catechist, uh, certainly for priests and deacons. This is one of the most powerful homiletic tools that they could use uh, in, their, in their own homily preparation. It just has uh, anybody that's wanting to get into the faith uh, and, and study the scriptures and study the tradition, there's really uh, not a more exciting way to do it than, than with Verbum. It's an amazing piece of software. Yeah. So when you, uh, when you do a search for a given scripture, or even if you just pull up the lectionary, uh, each of the links on the, le- each of the, the scripture passages in the lectionary are links and it points to any church document, any, uh, any writing of the father where that specific scripture has been referenced. And so it makes it really easy to cross reference, uh, this whole big, uh, library and really hone into the specific issue at hand. You know, there's uh, an analogy or an image I say that my my boss will use sometimes. And if you can imagine, imagine, uh, you know, all the books on a, on a shelf on a library shelf, just kind of magically flying and opening to the right passage when you're studying uh, something like we are today with the Annunciation, or if it's uh, maybe a moral question or uh, a specific passage of the Bible that you want to look at, and and all of the the hundreds and hundreds of resources that you have with the Verbum Library are then opened right to that passage, and you can just jump right into the, uh, the, the study of it. I, I always like to quote uh, one of my favorite theologians, uh, uh, East Cardinal Congar. Uh, some refer to him as the theological father of the Second Vatican Council, and uh, Eve Congar had a book that was very instrumental in my own conversion called Tradition and Traditions. And in that book, he, he makes a neat statement where he says, you know, that if we as Catholics, we believe that the Scriptures are the superior norm of our faith, but they're not a sufficient norm. And he was saying that, obviously, in response to Sola Scriptura, that, that Protestant belief that we only need the Bible. Well, we as Catholics recognize, and, and really when you start around paragraph 100 of the Catechism, uh, there's, uh, it, it teaches this, this very fact that we believe that we're not so much people of the, the Word, uh, I'm sorry, people of the book, we're people of the Word. And we, we come into the full access of the Word of God when we take the written tradition, the Scriptures, and we combine that with the oral tradition um, that we tap into when we get into the patristics, the early Church Fathers, when we get into the writings of the saints and the, the doctors of the Church, and we're able to read that with the, the Bible, it, it gives us lenses, in a sense, to help properly interpret the written Word of God. Well, let's turn that lens now and look at the Annunciation of the Lord. So you've got your verbum open, I've got my verbum open, uh, and let's just kind of walk through some of the nuances that are often missed. And I want to start with the word full of grace. Uh, You know, some translations translate that highly favored, 
And what's very interesting about that is, you know, the words favored are all throughout Scripture, and generally it uses a different word. In fact, the the specific word used for full of grace, uh, or as we've translated it, full of grace, uh, is used only the one time in this specific form. So why don't you kind of break that down for me using the program? Uh, That phrase, full of grace, the Greek word there is kikaratomene, and one of the neat things about uh, the Verbum software, it does have what's called reverse interlinear, where I can hover over that phrase, full of grace, and it's going to show me the word, and it will actually parse the Greek for me, show me the strong uh, Greek number. If I wanted to go deeper and do um, more research on that particular phrase. Um, but the, one of the things that's interesting that I just want to pull up is actually from the uh, Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, which is one of the commentaries that is in my library. A lot of you probably have the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible. That's the one that, again, Scott Hahn had edited that one. Edited that one. And that was automatically populated when I put in Annunciation. And there is a, a really good commentary uh, he provides on uh, chapter 1, verse 28, that uh, I'll just I'll read that if, if that's okay with you, Timothy. Yeah, go right ahead. Okay, it is um, full of grace. This is the only biblical instance where an angel addresses someone by a title instead of that person by name. Uh, two considerations help to clarify its meaning. One, the expression full of grace is rooted in the Catholic tradition and traced actually to St. Jerome's translation of this verse in the Latin Vulgate. Although fundamentally accurate, the phrase full of grace, that translation still lacks some of the depth of the Greek original. There's something even more powerful going, uh, being implied with that word. Luke could have described Mary with the words full of grace, um, another phrase in Greek that's uh, uh, Keratos, um, and this is actually used, Luke uses this phrase to describe Stephen in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. I'm going to hover over Acts 6, 8, and I'll just read to you the verse. That's, uh, now, see, this is when Stephen was about to be stoned. Stephen filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, Stephen uh, filled with grace and power, was working great wonders and signs among the people. Now, this is another passage that was written traditionally, we believe, by Luke, and he's, uh, it's translated into the English, uh, he was filled with grace. But it's a different Greek phrase, though, than what is used here for Mary. Mary's, uh, the, the phrase that's used for Mary is kikaratomene, and it's even more revealing, that the, uh, it, it adds even more powerful than just the traditional rendering full of grace. It indicates that God has already graced Mary previous to this point, uh, making her a vessel who has been and is now filled with divine love and, and, and divine life. And so, so from that, obviously, there are uh, theological traditions that have, have uh, kind of developed where we can, we can see that maybe uh, the Holy Spirit was leading Luke to use this phrase to, to actually hint at things that in Latin theology we would later refer to as the Immaculate Conception, that from the moment of Mary's existence she was filled with a unique uh, divine grace completely of the uh, volition of God. It had nothing to do with her. It was mm-hmm. She was passive in this. But uh, the, the, that hail full of grace is a hint at that, uh, that, that, uh, that, that fullness of grace that was bestowed upon Mary. Yeah. Well, we're coming up on a hard break, so let's stop there for just a moment. When we come back, we're going to, to look at another line of thinking that the, uh, the software puts in our hands, uh, takes the resources from all throughout the church and gives us in our study. We're talking with David Walker, friend of mine from Verbum Software, 
and you're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa, Broken Arrow. talking today with David Walker from Verbum Software. Now, David and I go a long way back. He and his wife were classmates of mine at Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. Uh, And so we have a a very strong connection there, but it goes even further than that because my older brother uh, was his wife's youth director. And so lest we get too far into... uh, stories that have no bearing on today's scripture. Let's quickly get back to uh, to this passage. You know, it's, it's easy to assume that these biblical authors way back when, uh, they didn't really have nuance, that nuance is something that, that current authors have. And so we forget that when these authors were writing, they were writing to a specific people known to them, and they put in things that their audience would be aware of that maybe we, who are separated by so much time, have forgotten. And so, David, you were talking during the break of just such an instance where uh, something that was put in uh, to Luke's gospel is something that oftentimes we may miss, but that his audience would have immediately understood. Yes. One of the things I want to mention also about this passage, kind of going in a different direction, but I think it's just as interesting, is the fact that the angel Gabriel is the one that's mentioned. If you look in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, uh, to a virgin, betrothed to a man um, named Joseph, and then it goes on and we get the Annunciation. It's interesting that Gabriel is mentioned, and the reason it's interesting is because if we look at the the last time chronologically that that, uh, Gabriel shows up in the biblical narrative, it's in the book of Daniel, specifically uh, in the apocalyptic sections of Daniel. The, The second half of Daniel uh, are a series of apocalyptic visions of what's going to happen to the Jewish people, God's chosen people, the Israelites, uh, following their, um, uh, they were taken into capti- uh, captivity and, and in exile into Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar took over the city of Jerusalem and burned it down, destroyed the temple in 587 B.C. And Jeremiah was very explicit that they would be in uh, exile for about 70 years. And uh, when we're looking at these these prophecies, at least in the the uh, the narrative is implying that these are taking place during uh, the end of that exile or towards the end of that seventy year exile, and that God is in a sense comforting His people in exile through these these apocalyptic visions. And a significant part of that is in chapter nine. There is a passage talking about uh, very explicitly. A, uh, a period of time that, that most scholars agree get, it comes out to around 490 years, it's essentially 70 weeks of years. And um, if I look at one of my other commentaries that was populated here, I've got the Orchard Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture, and 
there's a great commentary that comes in pretty much all the, the libraries, and it, it even says here it's universally admitted that the 70 weeks are 70 years of periods, or 490 years. Now, this is where it really starts to get exciting, because if you think about this, during the time of Christ, the Jews assumed that Daniel was written during that, during that uh, late exilic period, and if you do the math, that puts you basically right in the first century. And Daniel is telling the, 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 the audience reading it that the Messiah is going to show up in about some time that puts you roughly in the first century. And in fact, we can even see in the Navarre Bible commentary, which is one of my other commentaries that comes up in my library, it says uh, that, uh, let me pull this up specifically to the Old Testament passage, um, and it says, uh, Gabriel means might of God. God commanded the Archangel Gabriel to announce the events connected with the incarnation of the Word already in the Old Testament. It was Gabriel who, pr who proclaimed to the prophet Daniel the time of the Messiah's coming, and uh, specifically mentions Daniel 9. So Gabriel was the one telling Daniel when the Messiah is going to come. It's going to be roughly in about 500 years. That puts you in the first century. Now, interestingly enough, the Jews of the first century, they pretty much knew the Messiah was going to come. I mean, po the popular opinion was the Messiah was going to come around that time. This is one of the reasons we see so many people in the first century jumping up, claiming to be the Messiah, because at that time in history, the Jews actually, especially Hellenistic Jews, considered Daniel um, a, a prophet, and actually a major prophet, which meant that he was probably read in synagogue. And at that time, it was probably the most popular of the major prophets because it was, it was predicting this, you know, new apocalyptic age going to happen, and ultimately the Messiah is going to come. So everybody was excited about that. Well, now, Dan, it, it, it's not coincidence then that just like Daniel received that prophecy about the Messiah from Gabriel, now, 490 years later, who's showing up talking to Mary making the Annunciation? It's Gabriel again. And Gabriel now, in the first century, which is what the, Daniel told us, uh, according to that, those, those uh, uh, apocalyptic writings, we have now the Messiah showing up. And so it's, it's really kind of fascinating the way that the scriptures tie in together. And again, all those, those resources are all uh, in my verbal library, and I'm able to make those connections with the software. Oh, great. So we have two annunciations by the angel Gabriel, the first proclaiming the coming of Christ and the second proclaiming his arrival. That's a good way to put it. You see, that's the kind of connection that I just theologically geek out a little bit over because I grew up with the scripture as, uh, you know, an instruction booklet and it's something to be memorized and uh, to know passage and verse. But the overarching connectedness of the scriptures was something that, that didn't really come to me until later. Uh, and so one of the things that I love about this program uh, that you represent is that it brings together those connections without really having to, to do a whole lot of research. You don't have to have 50 books or 100 books out open on the desk and to know where to look because the program cross-references everything for you. And it really makes that kind of in-depth study uh, a much easier thing. Um, you know, the, everything is connected. And, and as John Walton, who is a, a professor at Wheaton, uh, has said, the Bible is written for us but not to us. You know, it was written to those people in the ancient days uh, that, that knew these things, and they caught those connections that we don't catch because we're separated by time and by space. 
Uh, and so before you go, David, tell us just a little bit about the different levels of Verbum, because really what it is is it's a cross-reference of libraries. And, and doesn't it really depend uh, on which library you, you purchase as to how much it's going to cost to get into? Yes. Uh, the way that Verbum works is essentially it's based on the, the size of the library that you have is going to determine the amount of search results that you end up with. And we sell six different libraries that graduate in size. The, uh, the basic library is an excellent library, especially for someone that is just now getting into the scriptures. Maybe they're an RCIA candidate even. I, I've had people like that that have them for the basic library. And you could go all the way up to our biggest library, which is Capstone. Now, um, we, we have a, a few in the middle there as well. Now, one of the things that we're doing is um, any of anybody that would be interested in a, in a library, or if, if you wanted to either visit our website at verbum.com, uh, there's a neat video that will actually show you the software in more detail there. You can actually see what it looks like. Or you can also go to verbum.com slash compare, C-O-M-P-A-R-E, and that will show you a comparative list of each one of our libraries. And then uh, we're uh, going to be doing a, a little special for, for your program and your listeners. And if they call our 877-542-7664, we'll do a 15% discount to any callers that mention your radio program. All right. Well, David, thank you so much for being on the show today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you and and Verbum and all that you have done for us here at this radio show, uh, both in uh, helping us with the program and in coming and talking about it. Thank you, Timothy, and such a blessing to be able to talk with you and your audience. And uh, and yeah, thank you for letting me show off Verbum. It's such an exciting piece of software, and it's really been a blessing to represent. Uh, this uh, this wonderful tool that our Lord is using to advance the kingdom. Thank you, David. Be watching social media on facebook.com slash step outside the walls. You can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at outside the walls. For more information, we'll put up a couple of links uh, to the Verbum website and to the page where you can compare the various libraries. And remember that if you decide to order and you want to call in, be sure to mention outside the walls, uh, this radio show right here for a 15% discount on whatever it is that you order. Now, if you've ever wondered why the folks on Catholic Answers are so quick on the radio. Uh, it's because they've got Verbum open uh, and uh, other call-in shows similarly. Of course, they're very knowledgeable to begin with, but then they can find those direct quotes uh, very quickly using the program. Now, speaking of Catholic Answers, I have a book in front of me uh, from Catholic Answers written by Jimmy Aiken called The Fathers Know Best. And this book is uh, really a compilation topically of what the, the early church fathers have said chronologically about any given topic. So it'll bring up a topic and then it gives you chronologically the answers of the fathers. And I've got two of these that I'm going to give away, one to my listening audience on Real Life Radio and the other to my listening audience on St. Michael Catholic Radio. So uh, to, to answer this, you're going to have to call in. You're going to call in to 918-928-KPIM. That's 918-928-KPIM. And the question that I want answered is this. According to the tradition of the church, what are the four senses of Scripture? According to the tradition of the church, what are the four senses of Scripture? You can find that in the Catechism. Uh, so rush and go look it up. 
Call 918-928-KPIM for your chance to win a copy of The Fathers Know Best. Great book. I can't wait to put it in your hands. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa, Broken Arrow. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa, Broken Arrow. You know, it's my hope every week that when this show is over, you're going to leave excited about something. Really, truly excited about something. Maybe it's a, a, a scripture that you've never heard connected before. For me, that, that whole connection between the Annunciation of the Lord uh, from Gabriel to Mary, and the vision that Gabriel brings to Daniel. Uh, I'd never heard that connection before. I'm kind of geeking out over it, right? And so that's exciting to me. I, I know that I, I have weird things that make me excited. I know. But maybe you got excited over some some word, turn of phrase, that a church father or doctor gave to us or some reason for our doctrines and dogmas in the church, that maybe something that you heard on each individual show gives you encouragement and makes you marvel at our faith, gets you a little bit excited. Uh, The reason for that is because it's out of those points of excitement that true evangelism comes. Now, when we hear the word evangelism, we kind of freeze like a deer in the headlights because, ooh, I've got to get a bicycle and ride around and go knock on people's doors and say, can I talk to you about Jesus? No, this is not apostolic evangelism. Evangelism, of course, the word evangelism comes from the Greek evangelion, which just means good news, telling people about good news. And really, we don't have any problem as a people uh, telling people good news when that news is trivial, right? When we find a new restaurant that we really like, Uh, we're going to tell people about it. When we watch a new movie that we either liked or didn't like, we have no problem sharing our opinion about that uh, with basically strangers. You know, we'll tell everyone we know for sure. But, you know, if a waitress comes up and says, oh, I think I'm going to go watch that movie, you're like, oh, you know, I didn't really like that movie because, and maybe say two or three things, and then they walk on their way, and uh, no one has devolved into tears, right? So we know how to share Uh, things that we find interesting and exciting. We know how to share our experiences with people who are around us. And that's what we're called to do in sharing the gospel. It's not about uh, judging people or finding out where they are. It's not even about imposing our views on anyone. Rather, it's about sharing our own story, our own experience uh, with God. So you find some new bit of scripture that just is fascinating to you. And when the opportunity arises in a natural and organic way, you bring it up. And maybe it goes somewhere and maybe it doesn't. You know, I I was at a a dinner last week and uh, I I was wearing a bow tie because that's the kind of nerd I am, right? I'm wearing a bow tie and somebody else was wearing a bow tie. And, you know, there's only a few of us out there. And so we just kind of got together and started talking. It's like, hey, you got a bow tie. 
And so then I, I grabbed the two sides of mine and untied it because, you know, that's the kind of nerd I am and said, so does yours, does yours do this? Of course, this was after everything was over. So it was, it was socially acceptable to untie the tie at that point in time. And, and, you know, he's like, oh no, mine doesn't do that. I, I don't know how to do that. I'm like, you know what? I saw it on YouTube and here's the trick, right? And so then we talked about that. And from there, I have no idea how, uh, we ended up talking about the Catholic faith. Uh, and, you know, that's the kind of thing that creating a point of relationship and a point of connection with even people who are mainly complete strangers, never met the guy before, but he had a style that I liked and I enjoyed the conversation. But it's there in finding a point of conversation and then letting it grow organically. You know, evangelization is not a scripted thing. And often when we try to script our conversations, they really don't go very well. But it's finding that organic point of conversation and letting the conversation go wherever it will, uh, just as a normal conversation would. I, I think of the Apostle Paul, and I think we talked about him last week, going up to Athens onto the Areopagus. It was a place where there were, uh, that overlooks the whole city just underneath the Parthenon, and there's all these different idols out there. And he sees this one idol to the unknown God, and he goes, ah. I see that you're a very religious people. You know, he doesn't say, oh, idols are bad and there's only one true God and you're all messing it up and you're going to go to hell. No, no, no. He says, I see that you're a very religious people. So there's a point of connection. Now, let me tell you about this unknown God, this God which you worship without knowledge. Let me proclaim to you in truth. Ah, point of connection, point of interest. And then people listen and some listen and some uh, mock him and some say, oh, we want to hear you again on this. And so, you know, you, you can't control where your audience is. You can't control where the, the conversation goes. And yet you can share those things that are interesting to you. You can share your own experience, your own story uh, in the faith. Now, if you did find something interesting, uh, let's start a conversation. Why don't you practice with me? Uh, you can go onto social media. The website is facebook.com slash step outside the walls, or you can go to Twitter. The handle there is at outside the walls. And if this show has meant something to you, then we need your help. Here's my big announcement. Are you ready? Uh, we are expanding. So right now, you, you heard last week, we're playing not only in Oklahoma, but also in Kentucky. We've got a, a larger audience, and I'm looking forward to expanding that even further. But so far, we've been recording this show on borrowed equipment. And so we're looking at upgrading our studio and, and owning all of our own equipment so that we can uh, expand even more. Now, I need your help to do that. Uh, because this is all volunteer. I'm doing this show because I love it. We don't have a budget. I don't have any income. We are giving this show away because we love doing this show. And so if this show is something you want to see continue and you want to help us expand, then I want you to go to timothyputnam.com and right up at the top there, you can click Outside the Walls Radio Show. Because we're doing a fundraiser on Indiegogo, I'm going to put up a link on that webpage, timothyputnam.com, and then there's the Outside the Walls radio show button right up at the top. You'll get more information about that, and you can help us expand our reach so that we can help you expand your reach to go outside the walls to share your faith uh, with the world around you who so desperately needs authentic Christians uh, living a life of authentic faith. Well, 
that's all the time we have this week. As always, I've had a blast being with you, and I hope that you have as well. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.